0: Neurodiversity is the diverse range in everybody's brain. So it encompasses all of us, uh, which is so, such a beautiful thing. And the difference, so people like myself who have an ADHD diagnosis, we're neurodivergent. So about 33, give or take percent of the population is the estimate um, of brains that are neurodivergent. So it's not a mental health condition, it's a neurological difference in the brain.
1: Welcome back to Switched On, a platform for mob like you and me who are looking to learn and grow from life experiences in order to fulfill one's potential, becoming more switched on in the process. Enjoy the episode. Wobba lubba dub dub. <laughs> if you're a Rick and Morty fan, that's Rick sound. But um, anyway, bubba mate. Wobba <laughs> lubba dub dub. How are you, mate?
2: Mate, right, I am... Good. I was going to try and say something like to rhyme with you then, but, mate, I'm very good. Um, you have used that intro before, or yeah, you might okay. have sent it or used it in when we talked about maybe the 21 questions we did with you, and you talked about, what's the show called again? Rick and Morty. Yeah, Rick and Morty. Anyway, mate, I'm I'm good. Still haven't watched that show, actually. But, um, mate, like, I think we said this, like, the last, like, <laughs> six weeks, man, but, like, this weather, I am just... Up and about at the moment.
1: Mate, it's, oh, it's a bit ridiculous at this point. The last couple of days, has been hot. Oh, oh, yeah, it has hot. been hot. How are you going, man? A bit knackered. Like, I'm, I've just been in, um, working on my other job, Gage Roads. Yeah, uh, like, nice. Last last couple of days. It's, been, it's a good job. Love it. But it's just been pretty late closes. And, um yeah, been getting to bed pretty late. So, But still doing my morning routine to get my switched on. So um, we, before we – I'll tell you how I got switched on. I'm going to introduce, I guess, Felicity flick right out um, to talk about neurodiversity today. Really keen for this episode. Felicity, how are
2: you?
0: Very well. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me on the potty.
2: Thank you for giving us your time. We, uh, we're excited. We are very excited because I think, well, we're chatting off air and um, yeah, I, I know that we could have... I wish we were recording that stuff because we'll probably touch on it in here, but it's going to be a very educational episode, I think, and um, I know that we're both going to get a lot out of it as well. But super keen to get into it.
1: By the way, listeners, they were
2: talking about biscuits earlier. <laughs> biscuits. We're talking about Joe Rogan. We're talking about, and then we actually got into the the actual neurodiversity side of it. But the biscuits chat was actually good, which Flick didn't join in on because she's like, yeah, it's just not worth my worth my time. <laughs> But actually, quickly, let's go around the room. Tom, what's your favorite biscuit? Oh,
1: all right. <laughs> oh, um, I'm going to touch them. Tim Tam, of course.
2: The double chock coat, there's caramel, there's all the different ones. Like, double,
1: chock, know. double chock slap. Yeah. Okay.
2: Very
0: good. Uh, mint Oreos. Oreos are Ooh. Uh, plant-based. I'm a plant-based person. Okay, so, yeah. mint Oreos. Yeah, they're good. I like <laughs> it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was not expecting that. I know. I like the change. Well, what would you have said? Um... Like a nice shortbread or something.
0: Oh, okay. Mm, yeah. But you
2: probably hate shortbread.
0: That's very stereotypical. It is. <laughs> We're getting into
2: stereotypes. It is saying, hey. very stereotypical. <laughs> okay, so what do you think mine is? <laughs> you don't eat biscuits. <laughs> okay, when I was a kid. What, okay, when I was a kid, what do you think mine was?
1: Those clock hundred and thousand TikTok. Ones.
2: I was going to say TikTok.
1: <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, just say that. <laughs> I, I thought you would agree.
2: Mate, I was a, in those. Not that the listeners can say, in the container. Mm. There's baby biscuits. Yeah, go to <laughs> plain. What's
0: a baby biscuit?
2: But, you know those like round ones? I didn't know they oh, called our
0: milk arrow roots. Yeah, those, yes, things. those you do are get the them ones. To yeah,
2: yeah, see they're the best. To I, yep. I just call them baby biscuits. <laughs> Jeez. Riveting,
1: anyway. riveting stuff here at Switch Time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um first question straight off bat. As always, Felicity, what did you do to get switched on this morning?
0: Oh, good question. I had my ADHD medication. That's always, always a winner and a coffee. Is
1: that dexamphetamine?
0: <laughs> it sure is. Yeah. Great start to the day.
2: And what's your coffee order?
0: Uh, I'm, I'm a milk iced latte. Um,
2: mm-hmm. Is it always ice or is it only iced in summer? Only iced in summer.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's weather it? dependent. Yeah. Nice. Yeah.
2: But does it ever change from, is it always?
0: Never changes. Yeah. Like, yeah. So you know you go it's flat just, white. No. So I
2: like it. Unlike my friend in the corner, which mm. still frustrates me how many times this guy changed his coffee.
1: Inconsistent. I'm allowed to. Yes. True. Yeah. Um, Bubba, what would you do, mate?
2: Mate, I went for a beautiful walk. It was a bit longer this morning because I was up. So I'm starting to get up a bit earlier with the sun. Did that. Early bird gets the elephant in the room. That's, that's it. Um, <laughs> early bird gets the elephant in the room. Um, and then I, what else did I do? You now I'm trying to think. You've distracted me. Um, No, that was... They're just the other usual usual stuff. But the one thing that's frustrating me at the moment is the water's not as cold, mm. you know, in the morning.
1: Yeah, no, you're, you're correct in the showers. Cold, me, and,
2: me and Tom, are you a cold shower person? No. So we're a cold shower person. But at the moment, I'm trying to figure out like a way to how I can get it colder or I just need to buy an ice bath or something. But yeah, mm. other than that, mate, that's just the usual stuff. But a bit of a longer walk and a more of a meditational walk. Oh, About 10 minutes, I was like, don't know if I've really, like, i have just, you know, you're just walking, you're like, oh.
1: You're just smelling the flowers. Today, mate. Yeah, it's, it, was, it was
2: nice, the last 10 minutes especially.
1: Mm, there you go. Yeah. How about you? Mate, my alarm actually buzzed at 7.30 and then supposed to try being in the office for 8.30. So I kind of got up, like jumped in the shower, cold shower, had brekkie, buzzed over here and then I had my caffeine drink. It wasn't coffee, but whatever it was, a um, one of the body science green tea thing so yeah feels like a normal now I and I can nap later because <laughs> I went to sleep late so no we're feeling good switched on in the booth ready to go for this episode what do you reckon should we get I cracking
2: yeah I'm keen man I'm keen.
1: so Flick when we hear neurodiversity it's like I think particularly I mean for us me and Brayden we've been hearing a bit more in the industry since we've been working around it and then especially with the workshop that we've got coming up with you mm-hmm. at Happiness Co. so and so but even before then I hadn't had a total um, I guess grasp on neurodiversity as, as, it, mm-hmm. as it was so please for like for me and Brayden especially and then and the listeners as well um, let's maybe like get a yeah. definition of yeah. neurodiversity.
0: <clears throat> it's interesting because you know, I think it's it's is a word we're hearing more and more of neurodiversity, but a lot of people don't really understand what that is and what that encompasses. And I mean, I can relate. When I was at university, I think I heard the word neurodiverse mentioned a couple of times, um, and didn't really understand what it was then either. So, neurodiversity is the diverse range in everybody's brain. So it encompasses all of us, uh, which is so such a beautiful thing. And the difference, so people like myself who have an ADHD diagnosis, we're neurodivergent. So about 33, give or take, percent of the population is the estimate um, of brains that are neurodivergent. So it's not a mental health condition. It's a neurological difference in the brain. So yeah. I like to think of us as like the pink diamonds. You know, mm. everyone else is the more common white diamond. Yeah, and then very get, rare. Yeah, rare. Yeah, yeah yes. like collector footy cards. You know, the rare ones yes. are, are more valuable. That's that's how I like to think of it. But, yeah, we're… Um, we're, we're the, the, the minority.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, can you touch on, I guess, can you sort of break it down into, the? I don't know if there's, there's categories or like what comes under mm-hmm. neurodiversity?
0: Mm. So neurodiversity is everyone's brain. So the difference in everyone's brain. So there's no sort of um, singling anyone out when we talk about diversity. That's the all-encompassing neurodivergence are the brains that are different. So that includes things like ADHD, um, autism, uh, specific learning disorders, which includes dyslexia and dysgraphia, dyscalculia. It also includes Tourette syndrome, epilepsy, uh, fetal alcohol syndrome, OCD. There, there's a really, really huge list. And mm. I'll, I'll talk through more of that when I do the workshop with you guys. But it's anything in the brain that's that's different it can even be an acquired injury through the brain that's that's caused some some damage, and then of course that affects the fun- functioning uh can put you into that sort of um, minority of, of neurodivergent brains.
2: It's like because well, we were talking like I said off air and I've like, been to ask I was like, oh, so does dyslexia come under it like' mm. cause there's still so many that I was like I didn't even think of the top of my head like o c d like I didn't even like, I knew that was a um is it classified as a disorder? Yes. Or, yes yeah. So, it's yeah. classified as a disorder, right? But, like, to me, I was probably thinking, like, you know, OCD, like, it's like, oh, it's a disorder, but it's not, like, a crazy one. Like, mm. you know, you got to – when I was growing up, I was like, oh, this guy's got OCD because they got to have the house super clean or whatever it might be. But, like, when you actually dive into it, and, like, we will soon, like, actually understanding, mm. I was like, crap, it's actually, like, you know, proper, like, and if you don't – educate yourself or you don't understand it or haven't ever been educated on it it's pretty hard to notice i think
1: yeah
0: 100%. yeah it is
1: i did want to start off just with that question just to in terms of the episode give it like the umbrella mm. term mm-hmm. for neurodiversity mm-hmm. but um i'm really keen to go into it because when when bray and i come back to i mean the, i guess the essence of Switched On and what we're trying to do it's like it's spread in terms of the being the youth mental health platform but also spreading ideas and perspectives that Can help Mm -hmm. people on the way become more switched on, and so that I guess like for (laughs) if for myself and Braden, that's exactly what we're going to be doing today. But before we dive too much into neurodiversity, Mm -hmm. we'd love to hear a bit more about yourself Mm -hmm. and how you got into it all Mm -hmm. into into the neurodiverse and um, neurodiversity um, industry. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah,
0: sort of sort of by accident actually, and it's quite funny. When I uh, as I said, I studied psychology, and I, I heard we talked about neurodiversity very very to a limited degree and the word neurodivergence so you know talking about those brains that are different i don't think i heard that mentioned at all and then as i progressed through my career and i started my own business and working in a therapeutic setting I said to myself, you know, I've not really experienced working with, you know, autistic kids or ADHD. So I'm going to steer away from that. And if I do have referrals or or people come to me with these conditions, I'm going to refer them on because I'm just not comfortable. And I love how the universe works. uh, And so that wasn't the case. And I did have working in the therapy um, world with horses, which is what I do in my other sort of line of work, uh, have so many inquiries and people wanting to come that had diagnoses. So I had sort of no choice but to get educated in the field and understanding, yeah, those neurodivergent conditions. So that's sort of what led me down that. And then my daughter got diagnosed with ADHD and that was a real game changer. That was, you know, to know something intellectually, which I had had learned, and then to work with people, uh, but then to experience it firsthand is a knowing that's very, very different to knowing something intellectually. And as we went down that journey with my daughter and I sat in the psychologist's office and she was talking about the things that my daughter would struggle with. And she said to me, uh, your daughter's really going to struggle with her times tables. And I just took this breath and burst into tears because I thought, wow, she's not just talking about my daughter. She was actually talking about me mm. uh, and someone who still you know, doesn't know their times tables. Um, and that's something that I've sort of hidden and felt very ashamed of. And so for this to sort of all come to light through this journey of discovery of my daughter's diagnosis and then my own ADHD diagnosis, um, my life began to make sense, but it en- enabled me and really inspired me to want to learn more and sort of educate and advocate because I know how detrimental my life at school was not being diagnosed, uh, especially for girls because, you know, with boys, with um, different neurodivergent conditions, the way it manifests is sort of more obvious, whereas for girls, we're really good at masking. And so, you know, it wasn't detected. And then into university with severe depression and anxiety uh, and the negative implications also in the workforce of not understanding the little nuances of how my brain worked and how that affected the way that I performed in my job and the way I interacted with people. And so it had a hugely negative impact for many, many, many years. So to be, you know, 39 and receive a diagnosis and then have this amazing light, you know, sort of shone on my past, um, for me, I feel so driven and so motivated to Educate people so that you know the young Felicities and um, Julians of the world that were in school, and you know, and there's so many of them that are misunderstood, and you know, adults in the workplace, so that they can really um, be celebrated and live and work their life, you know, to their full potential. So yeah. that's sort of where it came from, and and sort of where I'm going with, yeah, yeah, 100.
1: So. You sent, you mentioned you got diagnosed at thirty nine, mm-hmm. and then like getting that diagnosis was a relief because I can't help but remember when um I was just I think university this sem or last sem that in one of my counselling units a bit of bit of psychology in there that he mentioned that the I'm I'm assuming that you're aware of the DSM Diagnosis mm-hmm. Statistics Manual, and then actually being able to diagnose a person or like in terms label them as this, Mm -hmm. it it can bring a sense of relief because it's finally bringing clarity to all these questions, Mm -hmm.
0: right? Makes you make sense. It's so validating. So for me, it was having a diagnosis was the most validating and liberating experience of my life. It's been such a game changer. And I think, you know, a lot of people have the idea that they don't want to, you know, have their kids tested and they don't want to put their kids in a box. But the thing is with the neurodivergent brain, us individuals, we already know that we're we're different. We already know that we don't fit into the box that society and the school and our parents are trying to put us in. We already know we're different. So yeah. the damage is done when we don't um, acknowledge, when we don't go and have the testing done to give us insight and awareness of our our own uniqueness, you know, and with that knowledge comes the ability to advocate, which is, yeah, self-advocation. Is really important.
2: I want to I touch on two things. One, we'll get back to it when you're when you were growing up mm-hmm. and, and the challenges because mm-hmm. you weren't I guess, diagnosed. Mm-hmm. But that bit you just mentioned there, where getting that validation of okay, I am different. Mm-hmm. Like some people shy away, right? They're like they don't want to know, or they like I don't know what it would have been like mm-hmm. growing up. And, and you, like I just said, we'll touch on that. But once you get that validation, because some people obviously are like ashamed like you mm-hmm. said or I'm different or why don't these words make sense or why can't I read this mm-hmm. properly or why can't I remember my times tables? But once you – because you already know like, okay, there's, there's obviously something that that's playing a part here but what is it? Am I just mm-hmm. dumb? Am I stupid? Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm, I'm going to assume all those thoughts were coming mm-hmm. to your head.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So when you get validated, do you share that message of like, go and get your kid tested because it's going to help them Mm -hmm. and don't be ashamed of it and all that sort of stuff.
0: Absolutely. And that's what I'm all about, you know, really advocating for awareness, for exploring and being curious about the individual for the child. You know, teachers are, you know, on the front line with our kids and they pick up things. And I hear time and time again of parents feeling so um, threatened by teachers being curious by, you know, and and suggesting, hey, maybe it's worth exploring. Uh, And because there is fear, because there's so much stigma attached to diagnosis. So Mm -hmm. I understand it. And even with my own diagnosis, it was so validating and liberating. However, there's still a process of this, of like, oh, oh, I really am. Like it's confirmed, like, oh, yes, I am different. And that takes a little bit of a, a process to really sit with that and get to a place of feeling okay with that. And, you know, I I look at, you know, what I've done in my life and, you know, in psychology. And so maybe I had the skills to be quite equipped to deal with that, whereas not everybody is. Mm. And if you come from a family and different cultures, I notice as well, are very hesitant to, you know, explore um, those diagnoses. So there's so much to it. And I think really as a society, we've got a very long way to go to change that narrative. Um, We're only on the tip of the iceberg. but. I feel like it's such an exciting time to really be out there and talking about it and promoting, you know, the education and
2: Well definitely, especially for the youth, because like going into schools, everyone gets worried about, well, oh, I'm not doing this, I'm not good enough, why is this person so smart and I can't do this or and I think everyone's like, Well, oh, I'm different, but there's no like validation of yes, I am different yeah. or yeah i've got this they don't have that why can they do that and i can't mm-hmm. and it just becomes that you start to bully yourself yeah and then people bully them because they're like you're just dumb you're just stupid you're so weird why do you do that why do you flip out all the time
1: yeah they're just assume straight away exactly right? so
2: the more with what you're doing and educating mm-hmm. it's going to be like no i do this because i've got dyslexia mm-hmm. so that's why this happens mm-hmm. or i've got adhd so that's why i do this mm-hmm. and then we can start and then it's like oh okay so, he's not just doing that because of that or she's not doing that because of that. It's like, okay, then they can get an understanding, mm-hmm. which I think is going to be so important. And I, that's why I can't wait to dive into the training and then um, to see you go and educate more in mm-hmm. schools. But that aspect of it, you growing up, so you weren't diagnosed till you're 39. Mm-hmm. So, your high, your primary school, high school, mm-hmm. how did you cope with that? Because like I just said, you would have been maybe thinking – I'm just so different, mm. but there's no proof. So am I just dumb? Am I just stupid? Like, like yeah. yep. all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Are they common things? Or am I just saying, like, no, you don't actually right. say those things?
0: And it was so unconscious. So it, I hadn't really, that hadn't come to the surface until my daughter's diagnosis. It wasn't something that I would was really aware of. You know, like I knew that I wasn't good at my time for example, but I sort of pushed that down because I had wanted to be, You know, I'd wanted to be smart and I did love and I love learning. And now, I, you know, that's one of my highest values is learning and it's a natural curiosity. But in primary school, I, you know, I struggled with, you know, like I said, my times tables. And I remember the day that the three times tables was being tested and I was away that day and now as an adult looking back i think well i probably had a pan- panic attack or i felt so anxious and sick that i couldn't go to school but i missed the day and then when i returned to school i remember thinking to myself oh my gosh it's hap- i'm going i'm going to be asked to go up and and do these times tables and i don't know them i'm going to be exposed i'm going to be a fraud because I did okay in, in primary school academically, you know, I was average or just above average so and I was a good kid. So I thought, wow, you know, if people know the truth that I don't know my three times tables, I will be exposed. And that that thought, and I can feel it now, was terrifying. But for some miracle, I didn't get asked to do them. And I remember the feeling of relief, like, oh, my gosh, I have dodged a bullet. These people are not going to know. And I carried that through primary school and high school. And so often what happens with, especially with girls, is, you know, we do really well, we work really hard. And they say, you know, the ADHD brain has to work 10 times harder to do something than everyone else. So, you know, I was getting the work done, the assignments done, but the effort that's involved, that cognitive, you know, drain to sort of focus and have everything come together is so, so full on and so intense. And so when you get to high school and things start to get a bit harder, obviously, there's more pressure uh, and more academic pressure, obviously, then that's when the wheels really fell off. And I, uh, I couldn't cope, like literally went into shutdown and full-blown depression and anxiety, began binge eating in year 11 to cope. And so, yeah, I was holding it all together, like really holding it all together, masking um, and then the wheels fell off. And of course, you internalize that as because I didn't have a diagnosis. That was my fault, my inadequacies. Something was wrong with me. Why couldn't I fix it? Yeah. Um, So yeah, that was a really, really dark time of my life. That you know, from year eleven, and then um, yeah, into university and and study was definitely a a trigger for me. It would send me into these um, states of not being able to cope. Yeah, yeah.
1: That aspect of being neurodivergent Mm -hmm. and and maybe not knowing, Mm. and then how like the mental effects, mental health Mm. effects on that side. Mm -hmm. Do do most. Neurodivergent people go through something like that in their own
0: yeah. in their own way. Absolutely, and that's what's so scary, and one of the reasons why this education is so important because the mental health outcomes for people that are neurodivergent are um, r- you know really different and a lot more you know statistically more likely to have problems with um, drug and alcohol use, more likely to have eating disorders, more likely to be incarcerated, more likely to have marriage breakdowns, more likely to m- commit suicide. So the ramifications of not being diagnosed not having support not feeling safe to disclose you know what our needs are uh, are really really detrimental Mm so uh so yeah it's widespread that you know i think you'd struggle to find someone that's neurodivergent that hasn't had an experience with their mental health that's been negative
2: yeah on you said that what are you able to touch on what yours was And explain the, yes, the dark days that you Mm. went through. Mm -hmm.
0: So for me, um, I was always an anxious kid, highly, highly anxious kid. And I look back now and I think, gosh, I really wish that that had been addressed by my parents um, as a youngster. So um, I would be worried about, you know, every single night I'd get my parents to check all the doors and windows to make sure they were locked. I remember getting a tummy bug. I think I was in year three or four and vomiting. And then every night for a year after that, I would ask, Am I going to vomit tonight? You know, like I was just really, really fixated on that fear of it. And then I'd hear something on the news that had happened that was really bad and it would terrify me. And I wouldn't be able to sleep because I'd think that we were going to be burgled or something like that. So I would really internalize those sort of catastrophes. And that high anxiety is really, really common and in that internal dialogue, that constant chatter with the ADHD brain. Uh, And then as I, so that anxiety just never was always sort of present. And then that escalated through the depression that started in upper high school. And so what happens so often with ADHD, with that cognitive load is so huge and you cannot, I feel the best way I describe it is it's foggy. Everything's so foggy. You can't see a way through. You don't know what task to start and what to do first. And, you know, I'd been managing, but then when everything got sort of more intense, you it's like an avalanche. You know, that fog's no longer just a fog, it's also an ice storm and you're completely disabled by it. And so that's, you know, the ADHD overwhelm and people with autism often experience autism, that overwhelm as well. And so that sent me into this depression and I was diagnosed with depression. Uh, And now looking back, I think, well, had I had an ADHD diagnosis, I would have understood why I was struggling. But that depression was so deep and so dark. And You know, at a time in your life, you know, being a teenager, I look back and think, gosh, that was probably the hardest time of my life and I'd never wanna be a teen again. Because not only was I struggling with, you know, the academic stuff, but also, you know, those hormonal changes. Who am I as a person? I'm no longer, you know, gonna be in high school and I'm gonna have to go out into the world and either go to university or get a job, but I, I couldn't even function. I was so depressed, I couldn't get out of bed. So it's like here you are, Felicity, ready to get off into the world. and I was you know completely paralyzed by um yeah, an inability to function, which was yeah, really scary, very scary place to be yeah and,
2: and like Tom touched on before is that that's common if you haven't been diagnosed mm-hmm. like not obviously. Everyone's different, mm. like it might not be anxiety, but mm-hmm. have you found that pretty common? Mm.
0: really, really common, yeah, and especially with women, I have a lot of women reach out to me that have experiences very, very similar to mine where they've sort of held it all together, and that anxiety is really, really high, and they have been misdiagnosed over their life with anxiety and depression, and they've been on antidepressants, which help a little bit, um, but you know don't really get to the crutch of it because. They're not addressing what's going on in the brain. Um, I remember seeing my, I was seeing a psychiatrist for my depression, you know, res- treatment resistant depression when I was at university. So I went to university as a mature age because I didn't, I dropped out of high school because I just, I couldn't function and went, you know, sort of the long way around and got very depressed at university. And I, I said to my psychiatrist, I begged her one day in her office, I begged and begged and begged and I said, there must be something you must, you know, I was just taking cod with pseudorephrogen in it to yeah. try and get through the day and get some study done. And I said to her, there must be something out there like, you know, that can make me not feel this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ironically, with my ADHD diagnosis, I actually went back to her, you know, over 10 years later and she apologized because they didn't have the information, you know, only that, that amount of time ago that they do now to help. So, yeah, yeah.
1: That was kind of a big question that, um, I've been wondering for a while now because I've had some friends and um, um, I think my, like my brother-in-law that have been diagnosed with ADHD mm-hmm. as well. And uh, like the question that I always had was, well, is the prevalence of neurodiversity increasing or has it always been that kind of like what you mentioned before, that 33% mm-hmm. but now it's just these people are just like, oh, now it's just it's just so easy to get a, go and get a diagnosis now that they're actually going there and they're getting – the treatment that they need.
0: Mm, it's a really, really good question, and I don't think there's a clear cut answer to that. Mm. It's it's very, very complex, and because what you know neuroscientists know about the brain, um, I heard someone say the other day, it's two inches of you know a thirty seven mile journey. So what they know is so so little. So mm. I think that's a difficult question to answer. I do think, though, that, and we do know that many, many people were undiagnosed, like myself, and, you know, years gone by. And I know my dad was definitely has ADHD and dyslexia. And so many people that weren't diagnosed that are now getting diagnosed. So, yes, that's obviously going to boost yeah. the prevalence rate up. Also, things like um, epigenetics and environmental factors. That's do what I want to touch well. on as well. Yeah. Mm. Like,
1: especially with like youth today, like in terms of like spending time on their screen devices or like mm. things like that within the environment that might, change those genetics or like the phenotypes, you know what I mean?
0: Exactly, exactly. And so with, you know, the ADHD, that has to be, the symptoms have to be um, evident before the age of 12. So yes, it could be stuff that's happening very early. Also trauma, so childhood trauma. When we look at what happens, the changes in the brain with trauma, the similarities to ADHD are... um, compelling and there's more and more research being done in that area. So, and I think, you know, when we talk about trauma, it's not just what we think of necessarily in in terms of, you know, traditionally horrific things, but it's, you know, in, in regards to attachment and all that sort of stuff, that sort of primary caregiver and how we've evolved, you know, in over many, many years of that interpersonal relationship and connection, which is such a mitigator for our mental and our development because the brain's still developing, um, mm. you know. Well, Up until or, 25 yes. odd.
1: Yeah. And for
0: the neurodivergent brain, there's some research that says that it hasn't finished until about 35. Okay. Mm. So, you know, I think that really puts things into context, mm. when we, especially when we talk about adolescence and looking at behaviour and, yeah.
2: Um, I just had a question in my head with the trauma. So, is, are you born or can you develop it over time? So like, say you went through trauma at 12 years old, can then something, or you just, you're be born with it?
0: So with if you, say if you went through some significant trauma at 12 or 13, and then you had all the symptoms of ADHD through that diagnosis, which is using the DSM-5, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, which they use for that assessment, you wouldn't be diagnosed with ADHD because you're not meeting that criteria of being, it would be diagnosed as symptomology of the trauma. However if you know when they look at the brains of developing children and ADHD children the similarities in those changes in the brain are yeah as i said compelling so there could be cases where people are being diagnosed with ADHD but it but it's the trauma and vice versa however you know, it's all very, very complex and so I think we're at a stage now where we're, we're, you know, identifying what the issues are and treating the need and supporting the need and that's probably the most important thing, I guess, at at this point in time.
2: Yeah, because I was just interested in, yeah, is there, have you seen many m- like, um, I don't really know the word, but people that have been diagnosed that don't actually have ADHD? Like, mis- is it misdiagnosis? Mm-hmm. Misdiagnosis.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's very difficult. And I personally, I would never make this assumption that someone's been misdiagnosed as being diagnosed with ADHD when they haven't, unless, you know, I'm not the person obviously that's doing the assessment. And because the symptoms are very, very complex and how they present for me will be very different to how they present for you. And what we see, um, you know, in the world, when we're interacting with people, it does not give us any indication of whether someone has a diagnosis or not. And I, and I hear it a lot when people say, so-and-so was diagnosed, but they don't really have it. Um, and I think that's a really, really dangerous um, sort of language to and position to take uh, because that's putting people in boxes and that's, you know, it's quite judgmental. I think it's really important to have an open mind. Um, and if someone's needing support and they've gone for a diagnosis and been given one, well, you know, that says something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep.
1: Where do people go to get a diagnosis?
0: Mm, so it's different for children than it is for adults. Uh, children need to see either a psychologist and a paediatrician. Paediatricians are the only ones that can prescribe stimulants. Uh, not everyone wants to take stimulant medication or needs to. Uh, stimulants aren't prescribed generally for children under the age of seven or six. Um, and adults need to see; they can see a psychologist for a diagnosis as well. But to have prescription for stimulants, they need to see a psychiatrist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So that's for youth, and then for older people.
0: Yes, yeah, psychiatrists. Oh, psychiatrists. Yes. So, yeah. so
2: that as soon yeah. as you turn sort of eighteen, that's just. Yeah.
0: So, some of them will have different ages. Seven. Some will take from seventeen, eighteen. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah I want to. Um, that's interesting. That's good to know for a lot of people. Um, Cutting it back to you said it's very different for me, different for you, but you always hear the oh the, the the boy running around, so he's all energetic or he misbehaves or whatever. But then you said girls are very good at masking, mm-hmm. right? So how the difference between that and is there a reason why? Mm-hmm.
0: Like Yeah. And you know what? When I was a kid, I re- I can remember those boys. They were the labelled the naughty boys, yeah. and they were they couldn't sit still. Yeah. They their grades weren't particularly high. Um, and class were, clowns, class clowns, yeah. and because you know we would you know we say this especially with boys is they would rather be the class clown than be the class dummy. Mm. So I think they're sort of forced into taking that that role, and it, but if, that wasn't just when I was at school. This is the case now, and sort of being involved as a mum. Is really surprising that that is still happening you know there's so many kids that are you know these naughty quote-unquote boys so much energy very disruptive in the class and there's so much lack of understanding uh, in the educational system that they if they're not diagnosed with ADHD they're just being labeled as the naughty kid it can be good because they they can get diagnosed and they often do get diagnosed more often than girls and that's what we see boys are diagnosed with ADHD more than girls are because of those symptoms, whereas the girls that are um, not displaying that hyperactivity and impulsivity, although they can do so with ADHD, there's three types when you get a diagnosis, there's um, hyperactive, inattentive and combined. So I've been diagnosed with combined and so has my daughter and a lot of those boys that you're talking about are hyperactive and for girls, sometimes they can just be inattentive and they're the ones that often go missed because that can just be the zoning zoning out in class. Daydreamers, I think every report of mine said, if only Felicity would pay more attention in class, mm. she would do better. Mm. And if you talk to you know women now that have been diagnosed, that's, that's a common theme on mm. every report. They just need to pay more attention or talking. Felicity needs to talk less. I was always talking in class. Mm. As though it's a moral failing, as though I had control or the ability to control my talking and talk less, just like the, the naughty boy who is supposed to have the ability to stop himself jumping on the tables. Failing to understand that actually we don't have an ability to control that. So yeah, that's um, that disparity I think and that difference is not understood. The hyperactivity too can be the thoughts in the mind, racing, those racing thoughts, that internal dialogue, um, that anxiety and how that manifests and you know teachers aren't trained to understand those little micro cues of that dysregulation that nervous system that's not okay Um, it's still that very old school sort of model of um, behavior management and warning compliance
2: is that so you you sort of mentioned the naughty boys there's got to be more stigmas right Mm -hmm. What, what are the most common ones
0: naughty boys um yeah i think naughty boys being dumb Um, not being smart, something being wrong with you, there's also a huge uh, sort of stigma in parenting that it's a parenting failure. Yeah. And I hear a lot of women, adult women that get diagnosed and are scared to tell their parents. And then when they do tell their parents, you know, who are in their 70s, you know, uh, are really, really negative. Why would you bother going to do that? Taking it personally as though they had failed their child in in some way, but not being able to have a healthy discussion around that, instead getting defensive and very dismissive, which for women, I know that's been counter sort of productive to the diagnosis, which was validating, then being again invalidated by their parents. Um, So it's very, very complex sort of that, those dynamics. Yeah. Mm. We
1: mentioned, I think briefly before, but like you touched on them, Braden, that aspect of stigmas. Mm -hmm. How closely or like well, in terms of relations, um, the aspect of stereotyping is quite, I mean, I know it's quite similar, but like um, what kind of stereotypes do you might find, like whether it's in the work or the classrooms or mm-hmm. just in, in the community?
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, it's it's so stereotyped, g- gender specific, which is for boys. Yeah. Um, and in the workplace, I think, you know, there's not enough conversation around it. I think it's it's not really talked about. So many people are afraid to disclose ADHD diagnosis and with autism, there's even more stigma for some people find that there's more stigma and more fear around that. So the stigma is that there's something wrong with you and I don't want to disclose that because if I tell you there's something I'm different, then you're going to exclude me or you're going to, you know, remind me that I'm different, not include me. And you know, it's in our biology to want to be accepted and to want to connect. But if I open and disclose my difference, you know, what's that going to mean for me in this, you know, workplace or w- whatever? So it's a societal thing of understanding and acceptance. But I think that starts with the individual and understanding ourselves first and accepting ourselves first. And then we're all able to do that with each other.
1: So when you began to accept and understand yourself more,
0: mm-hmm.
1: did that, how would that look like? And was that just after you'd got diagnosed?
0: Yeah, it was after I got diagnosed because I didn't make sense before that. Yeah. Um, you know, like I struggled with uh, drinking alcohol. <laughs> just—it's
2: oh, a question that's on my head that I want to yeah. touch on. Yeah. yeah. But and after yep, you explain, yep. yeah. Yeah.
0: So alcohol was – I was self-medicating and, you know – people with ADHD they they need to self medicate because there's not enough dopamine in the brain you know to function to be able to focus to have that control of impulsivity and so we're not aware of it but we're replacing there's like there's never it feels like there's never enough and so i went for a long time with binge eating and that was doing that for me i smoked when i was younger and then Drinking was, you know, so socially acceptable, and it really fitted in, especially with the mum, you know, crowd. And you go to a winery after school pick up, and so that was, um, yeah, it was self medicating with that. Uh, but of course, there come so many issues, you know, when you are um, hiding and covering up whatever else is going on. Um, yeah, so I think I think the alcohol use was probably one of the most challenging times for me. And then what I really struggled with, because I studied psychology and addiction studies, is I knew that I had a problem with alcohol, um, even though to the world it looked very cool and I was the fun party girl, like I could stay out all night. And um, I knew that I was always craving it and having an alcohol-free day was so difficult. And I knew that it shouldn't be that hard. but And how can someone who studied psychology and addiction studies and worked in AOD rehab not Able to you know fix this or or manage this, like I felt it was a very, very difficult place to be. Again, coming back to the same thing I felt in year three with not knowing my times tables like a moral failing. So, having that diagnosis and then being able to go, Oh, that's why that and just knowing that information. Created such a shift in my relationship with alcohol as being as using using it the way I did because I no longer had the shame I no longer had that pressure and those expectations of myself because I had compassion on a level that I just wasn't able to have without that information. Mm.
2: So yeah, the the question I had was yeah when you mentioned earlier about sort of the addictions and Mm. is it more common if you've got ADHD or you know something that you get more addiction. So you mentioned binge eating, you mentioned like alcohol use, mm-hmm. um, eating disorders, like all these sort of things. Is that more common?
0: Absolutely it is. And so I think, you know, it's it's funny, a lot of parents are really scared to put their kids on stimulant medication because it it isn't amphetamine. But what we see is that kids that and adults that hum, don't take medication are more likely to self-medicate and so that is things that is going to increase the dopamine so that's you know um illegal drugs and cigarettes and marijuana um what
2: are the um, non-illegal addictions that you you've seen
0: yeah so you can be addicted to anything that's going to boost that dopamine and that can be in the form of porn porn. yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely gaming um but it can also be things that look healthy so Exercise. exercise yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, being really obsessive about different foods that you're eating and, and teetering on that, you know, disordered eating. Um, and, but if you're not aware that you've got a condition, then, you know, that's how you're. Meeting your needs for that increase in dopamine, and I think that's really, really common and as you start to learn more about it and you start to you know understand how people operate like that, it's really, really fascinating how those behaviors are meeting that underlying need in our brain chemistry
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, it's, it's yeah so thank you for touching on it it's just um it's very interesting that like because I've talked to like Jules and hes he's open about it himself, and you know i've he's educated me a little bit more. On it. Um he's got. I don't want to touch on dyslexia. So, because can you overcome dyslexia?
0: You cannot. It's a neurological change in the brain. So it's a, it's a difference in the brain. It's just like ADHD and, and autism. You you can't fix it, which I think is great because it's not broken. Mm. Uh, it's different. We do have to be careful, though, when saying it's just a difference because there are some people that say, no, it's a disability, and they want to be recognized as a disability because they say they feel that you know it is so inhibiting and it has affected them. They want that to be recognized. So I'm really always cautious about the language that we use. It's not just a superpower. Um, I feel like my ADHD is a difference, and I think you know, like Jules is obviously very open with his um, ADHD and dyslexia what's interesting is that two often go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's comorbid or coexisting conditions. So ADHD um, often coexists with dyslexia, with autism, um, you know, autism and OCD. So there's so many overlaps of these different conditions. And so, you know, dyslexia is uh, just like ADHD and autism and the other um, learning disorders, dysgraphia and dyscalculia, where with supports and understanding the, how that brain works, they can still learn all they need to learn and function as they need to function. But you know the problem is, of course, in schools everything is being taught in one specific way for the majority brain. So the minority brain, like the dyslexic brain, then feels like they're inadequate and they're not enough and they're not smart. When that's actually not the case, we know Jules is incredibly intelligent. I want
2: to touch on this, yeah.
0: So that's, uh, which is so sad because you have so many of these children coming in, you know, through their um, journey through school, which, you know, hopefully should be a place where they're really supported and enabled to find their passions. And instead they come out feeling as though they're not enough. Um, And I know Jules and I have talked about this, that as someone with those neurodivergent conditions, you can feel as though you're too much uh, and not enough all at the same time.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I know the question that you want to touch on as well, Brad. It's just like we you know those people in our lives that have these diagnoses, but they're like some of the most intelligent, like in terms successful people that we know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, one of my mates, he's just the. Well, I guess we um, referenced that stereotype before. Like the the chatter, like his um his upper he's very hyperactive, and it's just like always chatting is super smart and everyone like we all listen to him he just makes us laugh and we love him um and then yeah obviously jules and just like what he's been able to do like just that the people's people kind of thing and i'm just assuming like i know a few other ones as well like the other people yeah. in my life as yeah. well and just that whatever like they have been diagnosed and they they own it and it's it, like in some instances it kind of like seems to be like well, why are yeah. driving? Yeah. Part, like why they yeah. are who they are, and why why they're success why they're mm-hmm. successful.
0: Mm-hmm. Like the X Factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because so many, uh, if you look into you know on- successful entrepreneurs and artists, and how many of them are neurodivergent. You know, the world's gre- greatest artists. Mm. Um, you know, the world's greatest business people. They're all neurodivergent, which I think is so, so cool. And I think people forget that. Um, And, you know, that your friend that you were just talking about, I wonder if he was the class clown, you know, like describing that personality, Mm. that that person is often the class clown. And perhaps for him, he had a really supportive, healthy home life. That was a factor that helped him to not be, you know, too negatively affected by, you know, what else was going on. Whereas if that's not the case, then, you know, the opportunities to be successful and really follow your passions for the neurodivergent individuals is, you know, not as common. Or, you know, for Jules, obviously had significant um, tragedy in his life and that, you know, really sparked something in him. But I think that drive and that passion, being able to communicate. So for individuals with dyslexia, really struggle with writing, but they're really, really good at talking and communicating Mm. through story.
2: Just answer my question.
0: <laughs> which is obviously what, you know, like even just in a one-on-one conversation with Jules, it's just all storytelling, which is so beautiful. Because not only is that his his gift, actually it's how humans learn. It's one of the fundamental ways of which we learn is through storytelling and relationship. Yeah. So, you know, when you think about it, it's and isn't it terrible that these things are called disorders? Yeah. Because yeah. like, what a gift, what a beautiful, unique gift the ADHD brain, you think back to, you know, times when before industrialization, when, you know, we were all much more active, the, the ADHD brain was probably the one out looking for, you know, the negative the uh, enemies coming or um, looking for trouble or the next place that we needed to go to find food or, you know, so these things in, in our history probably had a role to play and, and fitted in quite nicely. Whereas, unfortunately, it's so much of it has to do with uh, the expectations of our society.
2: Yep. Yeah, yeah, because that like he touched on it, like you can be used as a superpower, right? But Jules, like you said, he he does struggle with his writing, but like like we talked about, like insanely smart, can talk, and but has so much knowledge. Mm-hmm. So like, and we talked about this earlier. If I just went up to Jules and anyone just goes and talks to him, mm-hmm. and you have a one-on-one conversation with him, no writing involved or anything, you're like, man, this bloke is a genius. <laughs> you would know. He's got ADHD. You wouldn't know he's got dyslexia. Oh. But then he starts to write and he jokes about it. We, we call it Julianism because <laughs> some of his words he writes and says are just like. Mate, you're
1: not. You're,
2: I know. I'm not, not, far, well. I I know, not I'm far off. I'm not far off. <laughs> I'm very. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about I'm right,
0: I'm right there with you. I know. We'll talk. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was hoping you were going to bring that up. But like, like I, even, I actually had a meeting, um, catch up with him yesterday and just like, you know, his storytelling, the way he can talk. And it's just it's just quite interesting that you can turn it into a superpower mm-hmm. and i and I love that, and I don't know if that's some people hate that mm-hmm. that label which you they sort do. of just mentioned um yep. but how do you use mm-hmm. yours as a superpower
0: mm. it, if it, it, I'm allowed to say that yeah. word. Yeah, and it's individual, and I feel like for me, it is a superpower now that I understand it and I know it. Um, and I guess a lot of that has to do with the environment I'm in and the support that I have. And you know, I come have a very, very supportive family, and so I think that makes a difference. And I, perhaps because I had so long without a diagnosis, not understanding myself, that then when this light's shone on it, it was empowering. Whereas for some people, yeah, they they don't feel that it's a superpower. They feel it's really impacted their life in a negative way. And, you know, I think to be mindful of, you know, that as individuals. But what enables it to be a superpower for me is being able to lean into my strengths and accept my weaknesses. Whereas before my weaknesses were always, you know, a problem that had to be fixed. There was so much guilt and shame and, you know, like shame is obviously such a heavy burden to Mm. carry. And when you're carrying shame like that, I think it disables anybody, you know, nothing can be a superpower. So for me, you know, knowing what my ADHD strengths are, like, you know, I am very good at thinking and creating and thinking way outside the square, like way, way outside the square, Um, whereas Writing, you were just talking about writing. Spelling is a huge weakness of mine. Um, Managing time. So people with ADHD often struggle with, it's called time blindness. And I would always feel so guilty about being late or missing appointments as though like I was being rude and because I'm the good girl, I wanted to be on time. And so now that I understand that, I don't beat myself up I'm like, you know what, yep, that's part of my HD. We call it the ADHD tax. You know, for some people it could be losing a laptop or multiple laptops, um, whereas, you know, for me, <laughs> for poor old Jules, um, you know, and some, you know, th- think of some workplaces. If you worked there and you had, you know, damaged or lost four laptops, you'd be given a warnings and, and fired, whereas, you know, when you can understand that and go, okay, that's okay, I accept that, then you can lean into your strengths and, that's and do what you love doing and I think yeah that's where the superpower is
1: yeah
2: and that flows into like you uh, like you can be just because you have been diagnosed doesn't mean you can't be successful in whatever that word means for you mm-hmm. like I know Richard Branson's got um dyslexia Yep. like one of the smartest blokes and created amazing and had a huge impact on this world mm-hmm. so whatever that is for you obviously out there is take that on board and embrace it and because you can become, like we said, it's whatever your definition of success is, but you can do that and become successful. It's not just, oh, I've got this so I'm not smart enough or I'm never going to be successful, I can't achieve this. It's like, no, look at so many people that achieved amazing things in different Mm. fields. So I think that's another great reminder that it's for everyone really. Mm. Everyone, no matter who you are, what you're diagnosed with, you can achieve great things.
1: Absolutely. Also, Bubba. Thanks, man. Um, I don't mean to take this conversation at right angles, but just so I have enough time mm-hmm. to talk about um, the advocacy co- mm-hmm. side of things and like and your workshop side mm-hmm. of things and how can we create environments um, for neurodivergent people that? So that we can bring this acceptance and, mm-hmm. and destigmatize.
0: Yeah, and that's such a good question. That's something I'm so passionate about because I think it's so wonderful. And we see lots of schools and workplaces have diversity policies and inclusion policies, and they sound really good in theory. But what does that look like in practice? Yeah. How are you being inclusive in your workplace? And how is that school truly inclusive? And you know, there are so many well meaning people out there, so many well meaning teachers and doctors, pediatricians. And and I've encountered lots of them, um, but they don't have the knowledge. They don't understand those little nuances about the ADHD, the autistic brain, and how that manifests in the classroom, how that manifests in the workplace. So that's why I'm so passionate about training and education so that then with that knowledge, Workplaces and schools can really support the individual and create a culture and environment where that person does feel safe to say, yes, I have ADHD and I struggle with, you know, my spelling and I, you know, I feel shameful about this and, and there's support and structures to help those mm-hmm. people rather than, you know, burying it and feeling ashamed. Yeah. So it that knowledge, um, is where the big gap is.
1: Yeah. So what does one of your workshops look like in terms of advocacy?
0: Mm-hmm. So it comes down to sort of really teaching some of those um, ins and outs of how it, ADHD and autism look so that we know what to look for. We know not to judge. We know we know to be mindful of someone if we're in you know a, a training and someone you know can't sit still and they have to get up. Lots of behaviors that are often considered rude. That you know you might expect someone to come and say hello and be warm and friendly, and we take it personally. But then if we think, well, actually, I've noticed a few signs that maybe that person's autistic. I'm just gonna, you know, understand that that's okay for them because it's the expectations that we have on people um, is where we see so many of the issues. So that's why the workshops are really heavy on understanding what those differences look like in the school system and in the workplace. Yeah, it relates back mm, to
1: that concept of like replacing judgment for curiosity.
0: Absolutely, 100%. We love talking about that. And if, you know, you think, if everybody could be curious with no judgment, and if every school and workplace could meet the needs of the individual through relationship, we wouldn't, probably wouldn't really need to be talking about this. There wouldn't be any issues. Everyone would be having their individual needs met. But of course, that's not the society that we live in. Um there are expectations and you know, boxes that people are sort of tried to try to force everybody in. So mm. that's why we need to advocate for, you know, those individual differences. Yeah.
2: Have when you've gone you've done school workshops.
0: Not yet. So this is the right. launching next year. Next year.
2: Mm-hmm. So what what do you see is gonna be, I guess? <laughs> The biggest challenge around it, mm-hmm. especially for, I guess, teachers will probably have an understanding in a way, maybe, probably not by looking at that. So, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but are you, you going to be doing, you're going to be working with the youth as well?
0: Yeah. So, you know. When we're looking at teachers, it's so multifaceted because it's not just the teachers in the classroom. It's also, you know, the school principal and what the attitude of the school is. And it varies greatly from school to school. Uh, and what's surprising is that teachers don't get much education in this at university. And so they don't really understand the different brain states, you know, even from neurodivergent brain, but also kids that have experienced trauma because they're going to be displaying similar sort of um, experience, having similar experiences in the classroom. And so I think the biggest, um, one of the biggest challenges is that stigma and for teachers to be able to open their mind up to what they're seeing um, and not reacting to negative, those negative behaviours because often what we see with the ADHD is, you know, the child that's talking too much, the child that's running around, the child that's not listening, the child that can't sit still, the child that's talking back. And as we get into high school, you know, they may be getting into fights or vaping in the toilets or whatever that is. Um, and I think that's going to be the biggest challenge. And the studies I'm doing with the educational neuroscience. And looking at the brain is wonderful because it doesn't matter whether you have a diagnosis or not, but in enabling teachers with that um sort of foundation is really good keys to help them connect and work with the individual, regardless of you know their diagnosis or their behavior um, and giving those kids the best sort of outcome. Um but yeah, sometimes it can be hard to break through those those um, beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yes,
2: and I guess for you, Tom, like you've done your um, health promotion study. So you, I guess through your uni, you understand a little bit more around mental health and, and health promotion and stuff, but it's not it's not in the curriculum. It's obviously not even taught as a teacher. Like why? And is mm-hmm. it, does it like how do we get it in the mm-hmm. curriculum and mm-hmm. like – we're lucky i think um i read luck i think we talked about the other day it was about four weeks ago maybe a month ago i've seen that um i think there's going to next year if i'm correct that in wa schools or school somewhere it's going to be educating men on like toxic masculinity and stuff and it's going to be a proper program and they're going to roll out experiments which is amazing because that's slowly changing but if you're not getting taught in school and then you're not getting taught as a teacher Like how do you know and how do you deal with it and but then you get told you know you got to teach timetables you got to teach algebra you got to teach how to write an essay Mm -hmm. but no one teaches brains and how to like how they learn and 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 it's the same with mental health like we don't teach how to do well being and emotional and physical like.
0: Shouldn't that be the priority? You know, those things. We've got it all round about the wrong way. And poor teachers, like I really, you know, I see so many um, parents get so angry Mm. um, on behalf of their children for what happens in the classroom. And as a mum, I've, you know, I get taken over by Tiger Mum myself but you know teachers go into it because they want to make a difference and they care but their workload is huge um, and they've got all these you know outcomes they have to achieve and so you know they get lost and they you know aren't getting that training that they need to understand the individual and so I think we are on the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. you know which is sometimes you feel like oh this is so frustrating to see how backward it is and and you know to see the damage that's caused you know I know in the tiny little Glimpses that I see happening now in my children's school with things that teachers say. You know, for an example, um, a little boy he is got ADHD, and they were in assembly, and he was standing there and he was looking at the ceiling, and just they'd been there for quite a while, and just moving ever so slightly. He was self-regulating, so he was just needing to do that movement for his nervous system to calm down. He was feeling really overwhelmed. And after the assembly, um, one of the teachers berated him publicly in front of parents and teachers for being disrespectful and not standing still and paying attention in the assembly. And what is so, so upsetting for me is I hear stories like that all the time yeah. from parents. And, you know, for me, I just say that is you know, and and as I said, I'm only hearing a tiny little, you know, seeing a glimpse of it and that's why we need, this is why this work is so important because those kids are being not just seen and celebrated, they're actually being damaged by those, you know, comments. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, You mentioned that we're at the tip of the iceberg and like I think I've been, been, in the last couple of years, can't help but notice that the awareness around the industry has like definitely increased. Mm -hmm. Um, and with the workshops that you're doing, which I'm really keen to sit in on and keen for I didn't mm-hmm. know you're doing the um school workshops next year. Mm-hmm. That's that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Can't wait for that. To happen. Can't really keen to see where it goes. Mm-hmm. What do you think is like the long term well, vision of this? And like where where do you see like the industry and, and your work going?
0: Yeah, I mean, ideally, it would be um, part of every teacher education you know, through their university course. And we are seeing in America, they're further ahead in this than us. Um, in some ways they're further behind in some things. You know, corporal punishment is still standard practice mm. um, hitting children in 19 states in America. Wow. But <laughs> fascinating. Oh um, and ghastly scary. But in other ways they're really ahead in understanding that educational neuroscience. Uh, and so in Australia, I'm doing my masters through University of Central Queensland. So they've implemented their teachers that come through and do their teaching degree and now learning about this stuff. Um, you know, a small portion of it but are learning about it in university. And so I see that eventually every teacher as they're going through university will – get a really good grasp and understanding of this stuff. And then they will hopefully, you know, have continued education um, and updating sort of that knowledge and understanding ideally. Uh, and same for workplaces, that workplaces are wanting to, they're becoming more aware, yeah. they're wanting to be an inclusive workplace. Um, and so the hopefully they will be seeking out, you know, these workshops and this training so that they really can um Empower their staff, and you know it does. It doesn't discriminate. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, how wealthy you are, yeah. you know, whether you come from an educated family or not. Neurodivergence is everywhere, and I think the more people have personal experience with it, the more they're sort of saying like, oh, "Okay, yeah, maybe we do need to get educated on this."
1: Yeah, so it's almost like professionals, like within many industries nowadays, like getting these other certifications, such as well, like the general norm has always been like your first aid something like that or anything along those lines. But now it's like your mental health first aid, neurodivergent training, mm-hmm. those are ticking the boxes.
0: Yeah, you know? trauma-informed. So with um, my work with equine therapy and the um, Equine Assisted Wellbeing Institute, which I run and the training I do with that, um, for the them to get their um, certification as a practitioner, they have to do trauma-informed and neurodivergent-informed training, so neuro affirming practices. I'm running one tomorrow actually. Anyone that works in a therapeutic space should be trauma informed and neurodivergent informed. Like it's, it's a no-brainer. Pardon the pun, but it's just not the case. Uh, Yeah, even through psychologists, through GPs, that lack of understanding is yeah is mind blowing. But um, it's not their fault. You know, they the information is out there, but we just need to provide that gap so that they can access it.
2: On that, so just. Have you got like three general tips for the general population that, you know, because not everyone's going to go and do training and all that. So is there just three general, I guess, your top tips to either educate yourself or, you know, anything like that?
0: First one, well, the first thing I think is most important is just have an open mind. That comes back to that curiosity. Yeah. Because as soon as we start having judgments and say things like, oh, that person doesn't have a diagnosis or that person does have a diagnosis, We're putting people back into those boxes and we're, you know, creating this narrative around a person that's not ours to give. So having an open mind and allowing people to be as they are. And that even comes down to things like, oh, that person didn't look at me when they spoke to me or, you know, that person didn't reply to my text message. Just not taking things so personally because, you know, we don't know that the way that that person communicates is quite likely different to us. Um... And otherwise, when we do have those judgments, we're putting a barrier. We can't really connect with people. Do some research, I think, you know, be curious about it in the terms of what is this, how does this relate to me. Uh, and the best way to do that is to look at um, stuff from neuroscience that's coming from, you know, research, peer reviewed, um, you know, people into that sort of science stuff. So that it, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, it's one of those things. There are people that have differing opinions on ADHD, you know, that medication shouldn't be taken and that it's not real. And so I think it's, uh, yeah, when you do your research, be careful of what, what, what research you're taking in. Uh, be critical in that sense. Um, and, you know, the third one I think is if you, and I think most people have experienced this, where somebody, a friend or a family member, has shared something that makes you personally think like, oh, maybe, Maybe mm. being curious, not sort of judging, or maybe that that could be, and don't be afraid to say, "Oh, have you thought about pursuing a diagnosis for your child, or have yeah. you thought about that for yourself?" Only as a way of offering insight and shining light, and because I know people often steer away from that because they're scared about, you know, being ju- seeing that as being judgmental. You're trying to put my, you know, label my child, but actually, let's. Ch- try and switch that narrative up yeah. and be really open and accepting and be like, hey, how cool is that if we can you know, give each other that information and support?
1: I think that's probably like the biggest takeaway that we can get from this episode, um, which has been awesome. Um, yeah, because I can't help but think about some other names or like resources where people can go. And I think we mentioned either earlier in the episode or maybe beforehand um, where you're listening to other people in the neuroscience field like Mr... Andrew Hubman. Mm-hmm. big fan. Are you a fan yes, of him? Big yeah.
0: Fan. yeah, 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 yeah. No, he's great. His podcasts are good. I find pod- podcasts good to listen to in the car, um, and get that information. And, uh, and he actually has done a couple of episodes on ADHD, which is yeah, highly recommend listening to if you like lots of that science heavy sort of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I
1: might have to try find them included in <laughs> the show notes. <laughs> oh, yeah, because I've I've listened to quite a few of his episodes, and he is I like I think most of the episodes are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'll try to find them and I'll listen to them mm-hmm. because I think the more you can surround yourself mm-hmm. and like listen to it, the more you can educate ed- educate yourself on it and I just have like these these conversations. Yep. 100%. Absolutely.
0: Attitude magazine um which is an online um, is really, really good. So that was ADD. It used to be called attention deficit disorder, which mm-hmm. is no longer. It's attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, in America, sometimes they still use ADD. And that has been running for a long time, that site, and it's got lots of really good articles and information and, uh, yeah, lots of stuff from um, psychiatrists and neuroscience. And, yeah.
2: that that show notes as well.
1: Mm-hmm. And aside from those ones, Yours, your your resources. Do you, mm. Where can people reach, yes. reach your stuff?
0: Yes, so uh, the website is felicityrideout.com and um, well, there's a resource section coming soon. So hoping to have some tools for parents to advocate for their kids and connect with teachers uh, as well as for workplaces. And, uh, yeah, there's lots of information on there as well about the workshops um, that we'll be running.
1: Very exciting. Mm. Yeah.
2: Very, very exciting.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, before we, we do wrap up, um
2: uh I'll do it after you, let, your last final question, Brayden. Okay. Yeah. So, our final question is in the last week who's someone um that you're very grateful for?
0: My and, partner. And why? My partner. Um for his uh vulnerability. Hmm. Yep. New level of vulnerability which has been um really special and yeah taking our relationship to a new level which I'm really grateful for. Love that. Yeah. That's
2: awesome. What about you big man? Well
1: I'm going to say Steve, um my sister's boyfriend or brother-in-law and his last name's O'Brien as well. Funny funny enough. But um <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, funny story. But yeah, we um we had a really good weekend. Uh, went, like went down to Colly on the weekend, did was 90th and then came straight back up for Coldplay. Um and so that was just yeah, great weekend and um, yeah, he spoilt me, um, had a really fun time and then I think that we might be catching up t- tonight as well. Um, but yeah, just the way that we're able to hang out and then also just like chill out with my nephew and his, oh, that's his son, Ollie. Um, and yeah, just get to know, know get to know him a bit better. So yeah, it was just really good to experience something like that and um am grateful for the opportunity to hang out with him. So cheers, Steve-o.
2: Love that. Um, uh, mine... i'm breaking the rules again here (laughs) mine is literally like this might was a bit of a little selfish moment here but it's my birthday on tuesday so for me it's everyone that sent me a message or um you know just made the effort to reach out to me i'm just very grateful for those people and and then everyone here at the office that um happiness co staff the future interest institute staff the mind body staff just we came out, and I'm just great. I'm, I'm gonna say, I'm grateful for everyone that reached out, but also everyone that just came in the kitchen and said happy birthday. Because it, to me, I kept saying it's a small thing, a birthday, but it just made you feel so special and loved and and wanted and cared for. And yeah, so that was mine, and I'm, I'm still. That happened on Tuesday, and it's now not Friday, Friday, but yeah. And anyway, and I'm buzzing. <laughs> so um yeah you're an old boy yeah i'm an old man but i feel i feel rejuvenated i feel young from that (laughs) what a gift what a gift yeah Yeah. so
1: Um, absolutely well flick thank you so much i think um from this episode we covered heaps really and we're like honestly like the depth on this topic is like Mm -hmm. is already so massive and like Mm -hmm. the continuing like field of study is just going to keep on i think blowing our minds keen to see what's to come but um yeah i think like the takeaways that you just mentioned about like I think five minutes ago if you want to go back in the episode let, definitely listen to that but um correct me if I'm wrong but we're all along the spectrum somewhere right
0: we're all that we're all diverse we're
1: all diverse in our own special
0: yes you know, way. yeah so yeah. the spectrum um you know yes there's a spectrum of diversity but we're not all on the adhd spectrum or sure. autism spectrum I just want to think of those as not linear but more of a sphere yeah um but you know that's up for debate I think generally the consensus is yeah we're all diverse um and then there's just yeah a few of us that are extra special okay extra- <laughs> thank you for mm-hmm. clearing that one up
1: <laughs> raw diverse and our own unique way <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep, yep.
1: Um, but absolutely we'll include um flicks uh, info and resources in the show notes and be, sh- be sure to go check out our socials Really excited for what's to come. Yeah, thanks once again, Flick.
0: Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's been such a good conversation. I feel like I could talk about this all day, so it's a good thing you are wrapping it up and shutting <laughs> me up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank but you very, very much.
1: Very you. 100%. And um, to listeners, thanks again. And we'll catch you in the next one. <laughs> Thank you. You, my friend, have just made it to the end of another Switched On podcast. Thank you very, very much. If you enjoyed the episode, it would be a massive help if you could follow the channel, rate five stars, of course, please. Tap the notification bell, share with friends and family, or you could do them all. If you want to get in touch to suggest some feedback, suggest a guest, or even advertise your brand, reach out to our Instagram DM. And also be sure to check out our website for more information, resources, and updates for what we've got coming up. Thanks once again. Stay switched on.